Okay, it's it's time for another digital side hug, and I'm staring at my computer screen, and it's Andy Root. Andy, we finally did it. We did finally do it. We have been trying to make a podcast work for six months, I think. Oh, maybe more than that. Yeah, yeah maybe it's more. Been, it's been a while. And we've got Andy Root here. Uh, I am in honor of my podcast with you, Andy. I'm wearing my my camp T-shirt from this summer. I may say a little more about this later, but in case I forget to or we don't have time, we did a summer theme at our camp called Book Club. That was basically, basically, you gave us this idea with your with the the Chronicles of Nadia. <laughs> And I know you, you, I feel like Chris Farley is saying, you, you remember that time you wrote the book about the reading the Bible <laughs> yeah. together? And it was so awesome. It was such a great theme to just bring people together and let Scripture do its thing with us. It was so great. And so thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for uh, finding an idea out of the book and mobilizing it and having it have a cool t-shirt. I mean, you can't beat that. And it does actually. You wrote just four, right? Four chronicles of Nadia. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean to say just in that you should have written more, <laughs> but but to say I would be interested in a fifth or a sixth if you ever decide to write one. Yeah. And if you're out there and you don't know who this is, Andy, tell us real quick before I get into. I'm going to start some chain reaction music, and we're going to do some ridiculous questions. But first, tell okay. us who you are, what you do, and and what are these books that I'm talking about. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Andy Roots. Um, I teach actually at Luther Seminary in cold, it's getting cold, St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis. And so I have uh, been involved in youth ministry for a long time, but I teach uh, children, youth, and family ministry here at Luther is what we call it. So I've been doing that for 10 years here at Luther, so I'm not sure where the time has gone. But in the midst of that, I've written uh, quite a bit about youth ministry, about theology, things like that that I'm sure we'll talk about. So. Right. Uh, that's me, yeah. I'm starting the music. Andy, uh, tell me this. What is, in your mind, the best guitar solo of all time? Oh, my gosh. Uh, geez, that's a tough question. I don't know I don't know if I can even, I, I can say. I, it's it's got to be some kind of hair band. Uh, uh, <laughs> is there, does Stairway to Heaven have a guitar solo? It does, right? We're about to find out, Andy, as I insert it in the podcast now. Andy, all right. all right. Next question. Uh, by the way, thank you. That was that was great. I love. There's no better thing to do on a Wednesday morning than get the lead out. Now, okay. What is your go-to condiment? Oh, well, you know, I'm usually a ketchup guy, but uh, lately with my burgers towards the end of the barbecue season, I've been actually putting barbecue sauce like on my hamburgers and broths, and it's uh, been very enjoyable. So I'd have to say right now, it's. Uh, some good smoky barbecue sauce. <laughs> okay, and are you are you more of a sweet barbecue guy, like sweet heat, or do you just want straight up burn my mouth? No, 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 more sweet heat guy. I'm a, you know I'm not I'm not too bold that way with with the uh, hot and spicy stuff. I'm Scandinavian descent, so we're, oh. we have a hard enough time with salt and pepper. You know? Okay, all right. 
Uh, that's from the uh, that's the opposite of the spectrum from me, you know, being from you know Mexican descent. Nineteen um, nineties TV character that you would most want to invite to your birthday party. Nineteen nineties. Well, it would have to be Kramer for sure. Okay, good. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be a little bit worried about what Kramer would do at my birthday party, but it would definitely have to be Kramer. But that's part of the fun. What? How yeah. is this going to go with Kramer at my birthday party? Kramer from Seinfeld. All right. Now, there's no rules about this question. This is whatever you. How do you want your omelet prepared? Oh, uh, how do I want my omelet prepared? With some mushrooms in it and a little bit of spinach in it so I can feel like I'm healthy, even though it's probably been all taken away by uh, cholesterol and fat and stuff like that. But in uh, some onions, of course. I tell my kids uh, it's onions that makes the world go round. So, uh, yeah, onions, some spinach, some mushrooms, and that sounds pretty good to me. Oh, it sounds great. Uh, there's a button in front of you, Andy. If you push Andy. it, if you push the button, you never get to listen to music again for the rest of your life. Okay. If you do not press the button, no TV or movies for the rest of your life. Oh. You're giving up music or you're giving up TV and movies. What would I do? Do you press the button? Oh, that's so hard. Ah, uh, yeah, I pressed the button. I, I couldn't live without TV. Give us a, uh, is, there a, is there a why to that question that you can give us quickly? I, you know, I, this is a joke I use all the time, but it's actually quite true that I was raised by TV. So, you know, um, in, in my house growing up, my, my parents had, you know, um, music around, record play around, but it was really cable TV. Like, yeah. I still remember vividly the day cable TV came to my suburb when I was growing up in the mid-80s, and it was... Uh, a glorious day. So I can never, ever turn my back on TV. It's meant far too much. So as painful as it would be to delete all my iTunes files and things like that and not be able to stream on Spotify or something, I, I just, I could not yeah. betray the television. It's been there for me at uh, the, mo the darkest, most necessary points of my life. So You know, you sound like Master Chip Douglas from The Cable Guy right now <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying like yeah. the way you're talking about it I mean and and you're speaking of TV as, as if it has become a friend you know a friend for you uh, and and my wife and I often talk about the cast from Star Trek the next generation like uh -huh. they're part of the family you know because for years we watched that show and we lived with those people in our home and we grew to love them it's it's Cool to hear you talk like. Okay, uh, Dr. Morris Gregwire. This is our last question. Dr. Morris Gregwire uh, is a sponsor of the show. He's written a book called Asking Can Be Fun, and he uh -huh. asks this question: How many episodes? And which is very apropos given your love of television. How many episodes of Two and a Half Men have you accidentally seen? Oh, that is that is a great question. <laughs> I uh, think. God daily that there is this invention called the DVR. Yes. So I've never really had to stumble across that show. I've watched minutes before, like minutes, but I can't stomach that show. And uh, and even when, when once Ashton Kusher went on, I mean it. Uh, it was even worse than when it was. The <laughs> if trainer that's possible, Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Well, so I, I I feel very happy saying few to to none. None. Okay. Well, I love Dr. Greg Wire is such a great question asker, and and he really is an inspiration to me as I think about interviewing people like you because as you know, and we start to transition here into the real stuff. 
you are making a difference right now in the lives of youth ministers like me. And I know that it's more than just me, Andy, because I follow you on Twitter and, and I get to watch as other people out there are reading the, the most recent book that you wrote called Bonhoeffer as Youth Worker, and they keep saying on Twitter the same things I'm feeling, which is essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, holy crap, <laughs> this is awesome. How many people, Andy, in youth ministry have come up to you or written you an email or, or said something on Twitter to the effect of, I've always loved Bonhoeffer. Celebration of Discipline is one of my favorites, but I never knew he was such. Mm. He had such a heart for teens. How many people yeah. say that? Well, actually, uh, quite a bit. I mean, most of the people who have contacted me since this book has been out a few weeks, um, and even as it kind of led up, and I was, we were giving out some, uh, you know, advanced uh, chapters of it and things like that. I think people have been quite surprised at how, and to be quite honest, I was surprised at how consistent the youth work in Bonhoeffer's life really was. I mean, there were these kind of key stories that maybe we'll talk about as, as yeah. this podcast unfolds, but and everyone kind of knows those, but those often are used to lead into other things. Like everyone knows that Bonhoeffer had worked with young people in Harlem when he spent a year in New York City in the 1930s, but that often is used in kind of the biographies to say, oh, see, Bonhoeffer went to a church in Harlem. He was involved with African-Americans in the pre-civil rights movement. This is very interesting as he goes back and confronts the Nazis and, and the Aryan Clause in Germany in uh, the mid-1930s. Uh, and so it's often kind of, I, I don't, I don't want to say, I think it, it might be sound a little too harsh to say it's been kind of glossed over or paved over. But what's, what was remarkable in doing the research for this book is just clearly how consistent Bonhoeffer's youth work was. Either, either yeah. children's ministry or youth ministry, right. really his whole life he was doing that. There's to me, there's no way to understand Dietrich Bonhoeffer as the pastor, as a minister, um, outside of being a youth or children's minister. And he, he entered seminary early. I mean, yeah. he, he began his training early on. And then, yeah, it just it's there all along. And, and as a guy that I, I've considered myself a fan of Bonhoeffer over the years, I, I had never known. I mean, this was the first time I read the eight theses. Yeah. Which which we'll get to in a little bit, but I mean that is some not just awesome and powerful and power packed and probably controversial in his day, but apropos for now and what you yeah. deal with in the book. It's like right now we're dealing with something very similar to what he was dealing with when he wrote this, which kind of blows our minds now. Uh huh. Uh huh. As yeah. we think about it. Yeah, and I think a big big reason for that actually i mean there's so much that's different between bonhoeffer's context and our context and we have to be aware of that and one of the dangers of writing anything on bonhoeffer is that everyone loves bonhoeffer yeah. and there's actually been this that yeah you point that out in the book yeah there's been this book written actually called the bonhoeffer phenomenon which talks about how these really different divergent groups have claimed Bonhoeffer as a hero. Um, I mean, the, the groups that would never get along. Yeah. And so it's just this kind of phenomenon of Bonhoeffer that everyone can kind of claim him and call him a hero. So I wrote the book in some ways in fear and trembling because you can kind of turn Bonhoeffer into anything. Yeah. But I'm, of course, biased. But I think really the youth work piece is something that is the most consistent with within it. And what's really odd is while his context is so different than ours, there are uh, some significant ways that it's very similar. And what's similar, and maybe we can talk about this if you want, but what's similar is that 
Germany was coming out of a youth movement that happened in the 1880s. And so Bonhoeffer writes these theses about 50, 60 years after this German youth movement that made everyone, and especially yeah. in the middle class, obsessed with the young. What's going to happen to our kids? What, who, what political party is going to engage our kids? Is there a future for our kids? Why are our kids kind of disgruntled with the middle class ethos kind of deal? And I think, we, well, we ourselves, if we look at our own youth movement, which really broke in the late 1960s, right. uh, we're about 50, 60 years after that. Um, and I think there's certain ways that the church is struggling in a similar way as back in the 1930s in Germany, that the American church here in you know the, in the 2010s to 2020s is kind of struggling with these same questions of what are what are our young people? How do we engage our young people? Yeah. What, what what will we do with the institutional church? Does it have a future outside of getting young people engaged? We're losing our young people. We've got to reverse the trend. Yeah. 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 And and so you you kind of. Touch on that with some of your writing as you interpret some of the things that Bonhoeffer said. Can you answer, is there a story from the life of Bonhoeffer that you had never heard before that surprised you that you can share with us real quick to whet our appetite as some of us consider going to get this book? Yeah, well, there's probably two. And one I think is from Bonhoeffer's own childhood and another, another is from his early ministry. And to just kind of tell those quickly, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about Bonhoeffer is that he has this experience as a child when he's 12 years old, um, World War I breaks out, and his two oldest brothers, Karl Friedrich and, um, uh, and Walter, go out, off to war. And eventually his third brother Hans, will, uh, or excuse me, uh, his third brother Klaus will go out to war as well. But what happens is that Bonhoeffer family, everything has gone perfectly for them. I mean, they are just the epic middle-class family. Uh, uh, Dietrich's father, uh, Karl Bonhoeffer, has kind of been on this career upward swing. He's now the chair of psychiatry at Berlin. They're deeply in the upper middle class of Berlin. I mean, everything's perfect in the family. Well, World War I breaks out. Germany actually is quite excited about the war. Yeah, his daughter, I mean, his sister was really excited. His sister, yeah, runs into the house and, and screams that Germany's at war as if, like, a celebrity has come to town. I mean, she's ecstatic. And her mother boxes her on the ears and says we should never, ever celebrate war, which most of Germany at the time was just excited yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, this was a chance to kind of flex the German muscle. And so um, basically what happens is they go out to war and Dietrich's uh, second brother, Walter, dies um, on the front. And it becomes just utter, utter uh, suffering and um, brokenness for the family. Karl Bonhoeffer, the father, stops keeping the family journal for years. He's in such grief. And Dietrich's mother is in such grief and because she, she deeply loved Walter. Walter was kind of her boy. He was, the other boys were more scientific. Walter was more artistic, more religious like her. And actually when they went off to the war, Paula Bonhoeffer ran after the the, the train saying goodbye to them in a very kind of unsophisticated, overly emotional way that German women, especially in the middle class, who had aristocratic blood like her, would never do. So when Walter dies, it's ap- just absolute utter suffering for her to such an extent that she moves out of the house for about a year when Dietrich is just 12 years old um, because her grief is too heavy and she's she's bedridden. So Dietrich has this year when he's 12 where he has two younger sisters, one's a twin, and they have to spend a year just grappling with what is life, what is death, what is attachment, what does it mean to be a human being really at 12 years old and really struggling with this very dark experience that I think ultimately makes Dietrich 
always for the rest of his life very aware of children and the experience that children have mm-hmm. and the depth of the experience children have. So Bonhoeffer's youth ministry is never kind of this shallow, how can we get just kids to come to church? Right. How can we keep them entertained? Like he had these experiences himself as a child that were incredibly deep. Um, and I think I, I'm wondering, and I know for myself that that's quite a similar experience. I think one of the reasons I stay really engaged in youth ministry is because of similar experiences when I was young of, of having these deep experiences of, of with God, of, of with finitude, of with what is a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And um, I think those have driven me in, into youth ministry deeper. And so I wonder about that with the rest of us. If, if we have similar experiences like Bonhoeffer that make us really aware of the mystery and beauty and pain of being a young person. And the most fascinating thing is that Dietrich would then be given um, Walter's Confirmation Bible. Right, right. And he would use that the rest of his life. I mean, he would write uh, The Cost of Discipleship and read yeah. the Sermon on the Mount with Walter's Confirmation Bible, with Walter's name still um, you know, scribbled in the, in the front cover. So I think that is a, a huge um, experience that makes Dietrich particularly sensitive to, to young people the rest of his life. When I read that, I loved that idea of the Confirmation Bible becoming his. I guess it was about a year later when he was confirmed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he was confirmed. And, used it and for there's the rest some of his really life. interesting studies about kind of maybe the family dynamics of that. And basically that Dietrich's allowed to be a theologian because his, his brothers yeah. and his father yeah. are basically agnostic scientific people that think the church is a waste of time. And he's allowed to kind of become a theologian. Um, as a way for Paula to return back to the family. Like, yeah. I mean, there's kind of this, whether it was explicit or the silent deal made, like, listen, I'll come back and uh, move past my suffering as long as you allow Dietrich to, to kind of engage his, his artistic religious yeah. side, um, which is really quite interesting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes on to sort of become the forefather of the theological turn in youth ministry. You say that a couple of different ways in a couple of different places. Uh, That may even be an actual quote from the book uh, as you begin to shift into um, the, the part of the book where you deal with the cost of discipleship and life together as as works that have extreme relevance for youth ministry. Tell us real quick though, what do you mean when you say theological turn? If he's the forefather yeah. of the theological turn in youth ministry, what does that mean? Yeah, well, obviously that phrase kind of predates this book. And in the book the, 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 that Ken Creasy Dean and I wrote t- uh, titled The Theological Turn in Youth Ministry, what we were sensing, and I still think this is quite relevant. I mean, I think there's a group of youth workers out there, probably some people who listen to this podcast um, and others out there, not a huge group, I don't think, maybe, you know, um, but a significant group that really wants to take a theological turn in youth ministry. And, and what I mean by that is I, I think there's been this kind of pull in youth ministry to think about youth ministry as this kind of functional reality. Like the job of youth ministry is to get kids excited about church or to get them to know this or to know that. Or, I mean, basically you can look at it, especially after World War II in America, that youth ministry really was about trying to get fickle people who didn't want to go to church to come to church, you know. Mm-hmm. So you needed to have events, you needed to have programs, you needed to have very creative, good-looking youth ministry people, young youth ministry people to get kids to come. And I think what's actually happened, and this is probably a larger conversation than we have time for here today, but that all of pastoral ministry in some sense has gone the direction of youth ministry. And what I mean by that is that now beyond just adolescent people, it's really hard to get anyone to come to church, or you're trying to get all fickle people to come to church. So there's ways just congregational ministry overall has 
kind of taken the shape of youth ministry. But what Kenda and I sensed is that there were a group of people who felt like, you know, there's got to be more than just me trying to make a sales pitch to get kids involved in my program. I mean, there's, there's got to be something more I'm about here. Um, and so we've noticed at least there's a, a group of people, a small group of people who really want to take a theological turn, who want to ask theological questions towards youth ministry. Like, wh- where is it? that Jesus Christ shows up concretely in the lives of young people? How do we take on practices and forms of ministry that really honor the way we see God's revelation breaking forth? I mean, things, things like that. What is a human being? What is a young person? What is a young person, not just from a, like a developmental psychological perspective, but what is a young person from a theological perspective? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And how do we play that out in the context of ministry? So, you know, we wrote that book, we made a pitch for that, and basically what the Bonhoeffer book is trying to say is, you know, there, there is someone who came before us who was deeply theological, who was thinking about youth ministry. Or well, here we have a youth worker who is taking a theological turn, and doing it, I think doing it all with a deep theological sensibility, um, and as a theologian. And, or we could see Bonhoeffer as a significant theologian who had young people on his mind all the yeah. time. So, so I, I'm trying to kind of set up Bonhoeffer as our forefather here of someone who does that. Maybe the best way to describe this is my second story that I, I, I didn't get to from your first question, which was that when Dietrich w- went on his internship, when he was just, I mean, he, you know, like you had said earlier, he's a child prodigy. I mean, he finished, mm-hmm. he started his doctoral work at 19, finished his PhD at 21, and then had this huge problem that he had gone so fast that he couldn't qualify to be an ordained minister or be a professor in the German system because you needed to be 25 years old. Wow. And he was, you know, 21 yeah. going on 22. So his uh, ordination committee said, why don't you go on internship? Why don't you go have a, an experience abroad? Uh, you know, you haven't gone to church much as a kid. You might want to be an ordained pastor. Why don't you go have a one-year internship? So he goes to Barcelona, and of course he starts a pastoral internship, but because he's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he immediately gets involved with young people. So he starts running the Sunday school, he starts youth discussion groups, and he starts doing youth ministry. Well, actually one of these really interesting stories we have is that um, one day, and this is a a letter we get uh, that Dietrich wrote um, in 1928, and it wasn't discovered actually until 1999 when the man the letter was addressed to actually died and they found a cache of letters um, in his possession and one of them was from Bonhoeffer. And the letter is written to this man named Walter Dress um, who actually would become Dietrich's brother-in-law who was also training to become a pastor. So in this, in this letter, and I'll, I'll go through it quickly, you can, you can see it in the book, but it's fascinating because what Dietrich does is he first writes Walter Dress and he absolutely um, tears apart Elmel Brunner who is this really important Swiss theologian at the time. His new book, The Divine Imperative, has just come out, and Dietrich tears it apart. Says it's the worst book he's ever read. Dietrich's had interest in ethics before, and he's just insulted by the thinness of it. He basically says he has to stop reading it with 60 (laughs) pages left. Like, he just can't stomach it anymore. But then in this kind of odd way, which I guess is probably the shape of letter writing at that time, which we're so disconnected from, but he takes this turn, and he, he turns to basically talk about this experience that becomes almost like a... C- CPE verbatim or something and he talks about this young boy this this uh, 10-year-old boy who comes to his his flat to drop off something that he's asked his parents if he could borrow something and the boy comes in and the boy's crying and you know or at least in a few minutes after being in his flat he starts crying and so this is a different time there aren't boundary issues and things like that that we have to deal with right, so right. Dietrich takes him onto his knee 
and he allows him to cry, and he just shares in his experience. He just deeply shares in this boy's experience, and then he can kind of decipher what the boy is saying, and the boy is actually saying, Mr. Wolf is dead, or Hitter Wolf is dead, Hitter Wolf is dead. And he basically then confesses that his German shepherd that he loves has just died. And it's this beautiful way that Dietrich just shares in his experience, just lives with him in the depth of this experience. Um, and in many ways, I think that's exactly what I've meant earlier in my work about play sharing, about just yeah. sharing in the depth of the experience of young people. And then what happens is the theological turn is from sharing in that experience comes a deep theological question that's born out of the young, young person's experience. It's born out of actually doing ministry and sharing the place of a young person. A deep theological question comes bounding forth. And in this situation, the boy asks, so, Herr Bonhoeffer, will I see Mr. Wolf again in heaven? So, Dietrich has to answer this theological question, but it's theological, and it's a deep theological turn in youth ministry because it's born from this young person's experience. So, one of the things that I've, I've, I think in this book I was more clear about than even in the book, The Theological Turn, is that I don't think the future of youth ministry is just being, uh, doing more theology. Like, if we can just read more theology and get kids to read more theology, everything will be okay. That's actually not what I'm after here, and I don't think we necessarily see that in the very ministry of Bonhoeffer. What we see in the ministry of Bonhoeffer, and what I think the theological turn is, is actually doing ministry in a way that shares deeply in the lived experience of young people, and trusting and knowing that the theological questions will abound from yeah. their lived experience. So in many ways, ministry precedes theology in this perspective, or the theological is the questions, the, the concepts, the ideas that are born out of the lived experience of young people themselves. Yeah, you're, what you're talking about now is, is sort of the ideas spring, the theological ideas spring out of experience lived together rather than the ideas being the starting point. You know, you talk about the idea much like, like Bonhoeffer does, you know, the idea is not the thing. It, it's, it, the thing is the, is the life together shared, the, this experience that is shared that then we find God in. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, basically, I, yeah, deeply follow Bonhoeffer that Jesus Christ comes to us in this relational dynamic of sharing in each other's lives. So it's not just experience for experience sake. Like, hey, it's a good thing that you embrace people's experience. I mean, that's true to an extent, but I think what Bonhoeffer is pushing and what I'm trying to push in my own work is that it's actually in sharing that experience that the living Christ encounters us. That in kind of this Matthew 25 sense, Lord, Lord, when did we see you? Yeah. When you share deeply in the lived experience of your neighbor, yeah. in their homelessness, in their hunger, in their imprisonment, I was there in the midst of it. So the theological turn really is about revelation. Where is the revelation of Jesus Christ um, show up, break yeah. forth um, as an event in the experience of young people? You highlight this uh, from Scripture in the moment, or you, you find a, a crystallizing moment in the conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Yeah. Where yeah. Jesus invites him to do way more than he, than, than he ever dreamed, um, to, to, to walk with him, to follow him, to be with him. Um, the eight theses that we talked about earlier I I want I wonder if you could isolate one of those for us in youth ministry. I've got we've got ten minutes left here. Is there one of those that you would say maybe is the 
is the most challenging for youth ministers today or hits us squarely between the eyes most that that you can give us some practical insight on uh, as we deal with you know a, a a culture a church culture that okay we may want to take a theological turn as as uh-huh. ministers but we've still got parents that honestly many of them just want their sons and daughters to want to come to church right and they there are you know a theological turn is all well and good as long as their sons and daughters want to do it right and so we're that's the context that many of us in ministry live in these theses speak essentially directly to that situation in in some cases is there one of those that you would highlight and say this is the one i think we can learn from yeah what i would actually do is probably you know just quickly connect three big concepts from those eight theses and those eight theses are like you said earlier are quite fascinating because basically they're impossible to find i mean they're buried in one of the vo- big volumes of the bonhoeffer works um Fortress publishes these big, thick Bonhoeffer works where everything Dietrich has written has basically been published, like letters to his mother that says, Mother, can you please send my laundry? Are, like, published in these. <laughs> you have to be a pretty famous dude to get stuff like <laughs> right. that published. You know what I mean? So it's, but it's, what's interesting are these theses are buried in one of those, and I only know of one other time, at least in the English-speaking world, that they're published in another journal, but for the most part, they're almost like a Sasquatch or something. Like, you've heard they exist, but no one knows where to find them. But they're but so amazing. I, yeah, it is. It's it's incredibly amazing. So um, I hope at the very least that people will check the book out just to read these these theses because they haven't really been presented too much to at least the English speaking world very much. But but they are like you said earlier. They are a shot across the bow of the church, and yeah. they in many ways are a shot across the bow of our church in North America. And the three big ideas that Bonhoeffer picks up that we really just have to wrestle with is in his first thesis he. he, he in, in, in number one, he basically makes this assertion that the youthful spirit cannot save the church and that the church has been far too obsessed with youthfulness, that we like the idea of youthfulness. We want, and this is, you can just think of this in a consumer society, particularly in our context, like we want young people in our churches because we want our, because if your church has to have, any institution has to have some youthful vitality to it to be a significant institution. Yeah. So every church wants a youth ministry because they want the youthful spirit because it points out in a competitive religious marketplace that you're a vital institution. We're alive. Some, that we're alive. There's something going on here. Yeah. And so Bonhoeffer says, you know, the, the German church that we were really interested in the youthful spirit. Everyone cares about the youth, getting the youth involved. We want the youth involved. But his, but his, idea, but his big point here is that we want the youthful spirit, but the youthful spirit will never save us. The only thing that yeah. will save us is the Holy Spirit, and that right. the church must become obsessed with the Holy Spirit and not with the youthful <laughs> yes, spirit. And so right. it's a very odd way to start because he's basically saying youth ministry, what you've done to youth ministry is you've made it both too important and um, too unimportant. Yeah. That you actually lift it up as so important but for the wrong reasons, really. And so uh, there's, uh, there's just a lot to really think about it, this idea of the youthful spirit. And there's challenges to us as youth workers. Like, do we really want and to be in relationship with concrete, real young people, or are we just into the youthful spirit? And you hear this at big youth ministry events yeah. all the time, like, we just love kids. We love kids. Well, what does that mean, that we love youthfulness, um, or do we love the concrete lived humanity of young people, which is often messy. And I, so I think that's a huge challenge within it. 
the second two which connect to it, which are quite radical and, and should make us uncomfortable, is that Bonhoeffer says there should be no privileged space for young people in the church. No privileged space. <laughs> which if North American youth ministry is anything, it is a privileged yes. space for young people yes. in the church. And ba- basically Bonhoeffer is saying that's, been co- that's counterproductive, that um, the encounter with the living Jesus Christ is in the community itself. And when we have a privileged space, we divide the community and don't allow young people to actually encounter one another. Right. And then he goes one step further saying, so there is no such thing, is no such label as Christian youth. There is no such label. There's yeah. no such thing as Christian youth. Once you put youth and Christian together, yeah. you you have a huge problem with discipleship because now... Um, what it means to follow Jesus is something connected to a stage of life that you can ultimately grow out of. And so he's making this radical step that there's no privileged space, there's no such thing as Christian youth, which in many ways is exactly what North American yeah. youth ministry has been pushing for. He's <laughs> basically saying, stop yeah. doing what you're doing to, to yeah. us. Yeah, and, and he's basically saying, um, how can the youth ministry, this is what, the way I would interpret Boniface, how could the youth ministry and the paid professional youth worker move the church away from becoming obsessed with the youthful spirit and actually uh, be a pastor to the whole congregation in a way that can move young people to the center of the life of the community and call adults and others to take responsibility to share the stories of faith with their young people and not just fund a a privileged space where young people can have their own religious experiences that are disconnected from the larger community and what was the third is there a third theme or did you just well, say both of them yeah those three okay. the youthful spirit the no privileged space and no such thing as as christian youth there's there in and, and i think it's number four he says at one point god's spirit in the church has nothing to do with youthful criticism of the church <laughs> and i i thought that what if we acted that way what if we really said we're not, you know, we're just not going to let the youthful criticism is gonna, is not going to drive us. Uh, so often we we let it, te- you know, kind of get in and make us do something different. And it's like he's saying, the body of Christ is enough. Mm-hmm. You know, this That's exactly what he's the saying. The spirit of Christ is enough. The church will endure. You know, I just I love it. I really do. And I know we're 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 three minutes from our deadline here. And I want to ask you one final question. All right. Um, I have, Andy, I know you studied, you did your doctoral work at the Princeton Theological Seminary, where a friend of mine is currently studying under Ken DeCreasy Dean. Uh, John Paul Cook is there now, and I sent him a text this morning to say, I'm interviewing Andy Root. You know, is there something you would ask Andy? And JP's, JP's just, he's obviously smart. Uh, he's a great thinker, and I think he's really with you on this. I think he wants and is interested in the theological turn for youth ministry. He was a blessing to have here. And, and he said, okay, ask him this. He said, David, speaking to me, he said, my two years in your youth ministry, you know, I would say the one thing you wanted most from teenagers was to, for them to learn how to love one another well, to love one another better. He said, I want you to ask Andy Root, what would his one thing be in youth ministry? If he, if he were saying, you know, the one thing you wanted, the end goal for youth ministry, what would it be? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the one thing that I've been committed to probably throughout all my work from 
revisiting relational youth ministry through to this Bonhoeffer book, which, you know, hopefully this doesn't signal my demise or something, because there's ways that <laughs> these two books kind of fit really well together. You know, in the first one, I, I pulled out a lot of Bonhoeffer ideas to talk about a specific youth ministry practice, and here I talk about Bonhoeffer. So I hope this isn't my last book, because I, you know, something bad happens. Uh, but uh, that's a morbid way to end this. Well, you begin with the end in mind. That's one of the principles of, of our day. That's right. No, but I think uh, the one thing that I would want people to take away from and that I've been trying to um, work as a thread throughout my whole work is this idea that Christianity and ministry itself has to be bound within personhood and not within the idea. Mm -hmm. And this is to kind of connect with Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship too, where right. Bonhoeffer actually says, cheap grace is grace as an idea, as a principle, even radically as a doctrine. He says, what is costly grace is grace as a person, as the encounter with the living person of Jesus Christ. And so I think what I've been trying to do and what I think ultimately youth ministry is about, the one thing youth ministry is about is engaging personhood, engaging the personhood of young people, much like your one thing of helping young people love each other well, like to engage the yeah. co-humanity, the co-personhood of each other. And in the midst of that, to be able to articulate um, the personhood of Jesus Christ that shows up in the midst of that. So for me, ultimately, I, what I'm really interested in is how is it that young people encounter the living presence of Jesus Christ um, in their lives. And I think it is, I mean, this is my theological take, I think it is through the reality of personhood, that as persons share in each other's personhood, the personhood of Jesus Christ shows up in the midst of that. So ministry becomes this beautiful act of sharing in the personhood, of ministering to the personhood of another um, as the very way of sharing in the act and being of God in the world. Um, so it, that seems a little theologically convoluted, but at its core, it's ultimately quite similar to yours, loving, young, loving, uh, ha having young people love each other well, um, having them embrace and see each other's personhood and seek for the personhood of God in the midst of that. It, it sounds exactly like my favorite section about community from Life Together, where, where he just talks about God will not permit us to dream about this idea of something yeah. and not live it and be in it and work together to get it. Uh, right. Andy, I, I thank you so much for giving us uh, 38 minutes and counting this morning. You're a blessing to the world of youth ministry. Keep doing what you're doing. If I were with you now, you would get a giant actual hug, but a digital one will have to do. Thank you for, for loving us by sharing these thoughts this morning, and, and God bless you. Thanks, man, and uh, thanks for having me on this, and uh, a digital side hug to everyone out there. Thanks, Andy. Bless you. Andy.